0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. Uh, And today we are going to have a very epic conversation all about conversation design, the past, the present and the future with two uh, incredible conversation design experts, Lauren Golombowski and Matt Buck, uh, founders of Voxable. And before we do dig into that, uh, shout out to our presenting sponsors. Deepgram and Symbol AI. Uh, you might be familiar with these two companies by now. I've been talking about them for the last few months. Uh, Symbol AI, first up, is an immense conversational intelligence company. It is a suite of APIs that you can use to extract data from conversations that you probably didn't even know existed. You can build all kinds of use cases. You can build things around you know, speaker diarization, uh, topic summar- summarization. You can do um, outbound dialing. You can do answer phone detection. You can build your own agent assist capabilities. The, the possibilities are absolutely endless. If you are interested in finding out more about the data that's held within your conversations that you're having right now with customers, visit symbol.ai. That's S-Y-M-B-L A-I. And if you are not familiar with DeepGram by now, you should be. DeepGram is one of the leading automatic speech recognition providers out there. Companies all over the world are using DeepGram for a whole manner of transcription-based use cases, but unsurprisingly for conversational AI use cases as well. Whether you're designing a voice bot for the call center, whether you're designing a voice assistant to sit in your mobile app, you need accurate speech recognition because that first Touch point that first piece of the puzzle is absolutely crucial. Crap in, get crap out. So you need to make sure that you have a decent speech recognition system. And Deepgram is one of the best out there. It's incredibly high performing. It is uh, very cost effective. It's got extre- extremely high accuracy and you can retrain it as well based on your specific industry use case or domain. So check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world for more information. That is deepgram.com dot com forward slash V U X world and finally On March the 9th, I'll be running a webinar with Servion all about Google Contact Center AI. Now, Google, as you might know or might not know, has been on a complete rampage over the last two years or so. It's partnered with almost every contact center provider out there, Cisco being one of them. Servion are experts in Cisco call centers and are becoming experts in conversational AI with Google CCAI. So this webinar on March the 9th is going to be a deep dive into some of the strategic challenges and obstacles that you might face when you try and implement a of like this, how to overcome them, some guidance for best practice when it comes to your strategy alignment and also conversation design. And the Servion guys will show you how to build your first bot using CCAI. It's going to be absolutely immense. Go to my LinkedIn profile or check the links in the show notes below to find out how to register. Now, without further ado, let's welcome the Voxable team, Matt Book and Lauren Golembowski onto VUX World. Hello, Matt and Lauren. Hello,
1: Kane. Hi there.
0: You? Yeah. Hey, thanks hello. so much for having us. <clears throat> no worries. I feel like this has been a long time coming for some reason. Yeah. You're okay? Definitely, definitely. We've been in
1: each other's orbits for a while. <laughs> yeah. Following. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like planets just circulating. <laughs> um, I've been so so the interesting thing about Voxable is that you have been around and I can't I honestly can't believe it's taken this long to do this, because you have been around since since when? Since 22. the beginning of the, the yeah. flourishing <laughs> of this culture? Yeah,
1: yeah. since uh, I guess the beginning of this wave of conversational AI, because as we talk about the past, there was a past before you know, 2015, 2016, when I think the, the kind of reemergence of conversation design, or I guess the, the kind of new phase of that, really took hold, um, I think due by and large due to the fact that natural language understanding models had become democratized and available. And we also saw a big expansion of Alexa, Facebook Messenger, of these big companies investing, institutions investing directly into channels, new channels. And so that's when Matt and I got into conversation design and development purely because we were just like nerds tinkering with all the new technology that we loved as a software UX designer, um, as a full-stack engineer, and we could build stuff with those skills. (laughs) So we kind of um, came into conversation design right as all of those things started to get really exciting.
2: Yeah, we, we had gotten a hold of like a, a predecessor device to the Amazon Alexa called the Ubi, It was one of the like original smart speakers made by a small team up in Canada. And that was like 2015. And we wrote some software to kind of like turn the entertainment unit in our house on with our voice and like get everything configured. And, you know, that was that was a cool thing. Um, gosh, seven years ago. Can I be right? <laughs> seven years ago. Um, and uh, at that point, we, we kind of like Realized that this was kind of like the paradigm shift in technology that we've been waiting for. Like I I got started in technology around 2008. Um, So that was sort of like when the shift to mobile was happening. And I saw, you know, so many friends just kind of get into the space early and develop some mind share. And were able to create these like very large agencies. So we started Voxable in 2015 as an agency in this space and then pivoted to making um, a product now about a year ago.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And at the time, 2015. I mean, I was thinking. I was literally thinking about this the other day. Is that it wasn't even called conversation design in 2015? It wasn't even a thing, was it? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It. Yeah. It. It took a while, I think, for. And I see this happen with a lot of technology waves. I. I similarly came into technology as mobile and web had really gotten exciting from a design perspective. And I kind of saw how that, the the field of UX came about and became really strong and, and design hand in hand. And when conversation design happened, it was really, people weren't actually focused on design. They were focused on what can this technology do? How do we explore that? And maybe we'll link it to a, a like a, a real use case or a business use case later. Like, let's just see what this exciting AI can do. And um, and oftentimes when that happens, the, the first people who are really tasked with doing that are the engineers on the team. <laughs> and the the non-technical or the less technical people don't have as much, you know, access to the information because it hasn't been mapped the the map has not been made and so it's it's really interesting to kind of see how the industry has gone from this like no one has a map to we're like creating terms like conversational designer that then switch to conversation designer then um i seeing all these like ai trainer roles and uh even conversation developers or strategists. And I think it's really cool to see that evolution and really see the the design is being crystallized in this uh, industry because from my perspective, and I think Matt too, when we saw that shift happening in web and mobile, the impact that really made it valuable to enterprises and organizations and like individual users as well, mm-hmm. as the end users was an actual ex- user experience design approach to creating applications. Um, and and so I think that is desperately needed and is happening in conversation design as well.
0: Mm, but yes,
1: no
2: terms existed back when we started. <laughs> it, it was like conversational design. In fact, I think our, so we, when we got into the industry because it was like, so difficult to find good information about like a process because we hadn't even really settled on a term for what this was. Um, It was, you know, most of that knowledge was coming out of the IVR industry. Um, And, uh, you know, we, during our time as an agency, a lot of what we focused on was training, trying to kind of um, teach organizations how to think about conversational AI. And so we built this introduction to conversation design course. And I think it's still conversational design because we created it when that was like the term. <laughs> <And> now, <laughs> now we've dropped the the all and it's just conversation design. <laughs> um, and like conversational AI definitely wasn't being used as a term when we got started. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just, I, I keep like a LinkedIn job post alert for conversation designer. And if uh, just watching the way that that role has grown, and organizations are really starting to like really invest in those teams. And I'm starting to see some of those folks get poached from like, you know, various financial institutions, to insurance company, et cetera. Um, it's, it's heartening to see that organizations yeah. have finally learned that this is kind of the, the secret to making this stuff work.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because they have, it has settled on conversation design. I mean, I remember when, when I, I think I registered the VUX world domain name in, in something like june 2017 i think and at the time i i didn't i didn't search for this at the time i just assumed that voice user experience would be a thing and therefore vux world sounds good and so i registered the name. The and it wasn't until like a year and a half or two later i was kind of going back over and thinking like is vux a term was that a term and <laughs> there was like one mention of it on twitter prior to, to june the 26th or something whereas now VUX, you know, VUI design, conversation design, all of these different terminologies and stuff like that have, have all just kind of grown up over the last five years or so. It's crazy. You you made it a term. You- I don't <laughs> yeah. know about that. I, I can probably find the person who did make it a term. They just come out of an Amazon. Um, Alexa workshop, you know, back in when when Amazon used to run all of these workshops and training and all that kind of stuff. Um, someone had come out of that. It might have been the guy Hugo who who made the the fart skill. I don't know if you know <laughs> Hugo. He made the the infamous fart skill. I think it might have been him. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's funny. I remember doing your your course actually. In well, I don't know when it was. It was years, a few years back. Um, I remember doing that course. It, it, it was really good. And at the time. There wasn't. I don't even know if. I don't even know if there wasn't many. I know that there was a couple of things kicking around, but there wasn't anything really around there. When you approach that, and and maybe this might give us an insight into your the way that you were thinking about things at the time. In order to create a course out of something, you need to have some degree of experience in it and been through the process a number of times to be able to perfect your methodologies and stuff like that. And then to be able to solidify that into something that you can teach other people is you need to have a good grounding and a good understanding in it. So where were you kind of extracting your knowledge from in those times when 2015 2016 nothing much is going on i remember even when a launch vux world i couldn't find anyone to speak to really very few people because no one was hardly doing it <laughs> was it a yeah. case of all learning through experience was it that you were looking at kind of like slightly older documentation from the ivr space and you know you asked kathy pearl john bloom that kind of stuff like where did it where did it all kind of where did your knowledge come from in those days
1: yeah so we um We built the course like a couple years after starting, you know, service work, consulting with enterprise organizations like AT and T, Overstock, GoDaddy, and we had done, um, and we had been, you know, trying to build like a knowledge share around conversation design, especially in Austin, Texas, where we started the company. There were a couple, a few different companies in Austin that were focusing on that. Conversable was one of them that was acquired by LivePerson. Um, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think back to all of them because it's like digging up the, the old past. And we you know, spoke at a lot of user groups and meetups. And we just kept hearing from designers and developers who would attend, like, how do I get more knowledge? How do I get more information? And you're right, there wasn't a ton out there. And we had kind of developed our own sort of like we're huge documentation nerds internally. And and, um, for every client work that we did, we just started building kind of like a best practice set of documents. And and it started to kind of be the foundation for what could be like training or curriculum. And so we decided uh, we had gotten the chance to do like a workshop, a a little bit longer of a workshop at Austin Design Week, which is like a free design event that they throw every year. And we saw like a lot of people come, a lot of people were super interested. And so we thought maybe we could, instead of, you know, giving this for free in a really tight 90 minute workshop where you're barely able to learn that much, um, let's, let's turn it into like a full day workshop where local Austin people can come and learn about conversation design. And so we launched that and we held a couple different workshops. I think we taught um, a- around 50 students came in in Austin and that was great and love doing those workshops. It's so f- it, it having, especially now after the pandemic, having that physical space with people to work and go through like affinity diagramming and actually you know mapping out conversation flows and we decided to actually film one of those workshops and turn it into an online training. Um, so we kind of did a hybrid of like, let's take these in, this in-person workshop that we run, and then let's add a bunch of other screencasts and other supporting um, videos and turn it into a full-on you know, curriculum for folks to just get introduced into conversation design, really with the focus of providing like our perspective, our curriculum was really just, this is like a UX design methodology, user-centered UX design methodology, and let's apply it to the the nuances and constraints that are added when we start to implement or think about conversation design. So teaching them about NLU and all the different channels. Um, so yeah, that that was what went, went into it. And really, we thought like, this is how we can scale some of our impact is we don't have to physically be present with every single person who needs to learn this, um, we can put it out there online.
2: Yeah, and I think your question also kind of, it it kind of speaks to the state of the industry at that time. So when we got involved, that was around the time that um, Amazon was investing very heavily in those like um, you know, developer evangelist meetups that they were doing to teach, you know, the deal was they would try to get you to go to the event and then launch three different like templatized skills that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it became evident pretty quickly that what Amazon was kind of opting for there was like volume of skills over quality of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, w- you know, our plan originally, because I had seen this happen, like I saw, you know, friends of mine uh, create tiny little mobile apps at the start of the app store. And then, you know, I had a friend that created the, the Wikipedia app. He now, he like ran their whole mobile design and development for a little while, but he, uh, he created this little mobile Wikipedia app. That was nothing more than like a mobile CSS that he had applied and like put a browser frame over very, very simple app. And he was making like a thousand dollars a day for a little while, just like an indie developer. And I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, this, we'll have this new device that's going to be in all these homes. Surely Amazon will give us a way to charge for the software we're building for this platform, just like Apple did. Um, That did not happen. (laughs) So we had to, we had to pivot um, and we ended up making, uh, we decided, okay, well, we'll just do, you know, conversational AI broadly. We ended up making a chat bot for a small music festival um, in Austin uh, that was called sound on sound. Um, And it was like a, you know, attendees could ask questions about the schedule, you know, what time is Courtney Barnett playing and, you know.
1: And it was uh, taking place in Austin, outside of Austin. They have a Sherwood Forest Ren Fair grounds. And and this music festival was taking place at the Ren Fair grounds. It was the first time they had done it. So they had this whole style that was like half hipster, half like – uh old timey, like Medieval, what you, you would know. see at a Ren fair, And so right. from a, a conversation design, like actually getting into writing dialogues and applying a brand style, we like had a ton of fun doing that for that particular. Um, mm-hmm.
2: They wanted the kind of, yeah, like old English and the <laughs> messages <laughs> that were sent. So that bot ended up getting the attention of the director of emerging technology at South by Southwest. And so we ended up getting to work with South by Southwest to make the virtual assistant um, for South by Southwest for a few years. Um, and then that was kind of, that got us the, bought us the ability to kind of work with larger enterprises. And so that was kind of the history of the first few years of the company that we were like basing the the sort of knowledge um, of that that we put into the course
0: on. Mm. So, so you had... That's a, it's a nice organic story that as well. So so you kind of took an interest in something, learned about it, began to tie together some familiar concepts that you've had from previous experience with user experience design and Matt with your engineering background and both of you observing the trend that's already come before in mobile and, and thinking about how to position yourself to kind of take advantage of this emerging technology, doing a few projects, learning while you're going, solidifying this knowledge into this base of of learnings and teachings essentially and then managing to kind of like you know grow your capabilities grow your experience through working with some pretty large brands so at that point you would think that well things are going really well we've got you know lots of big decent clients we've got a really good solid foundation of knowledge we're kind of you know going really well what was it then that that had you get to the point where you thought actually do you know what Maybe a design tool is, is the direction we should be going in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, set the stage well. I think that the, the thing that was happening internally for us is that we had established this process and this design methodology that was based on user-centered design. And the thing was that we were spending so much time copying and pasting between Google Docs, spreadsheets, in Miro. Like, we had basically created what the best available process we thought that could happen, and we were still like, something's not right here. Like, this isn't – it should be easier for me to hand things over to an engineer. It should be easier for me to get feedback from stakeholders. It should be easier for, um, like – a team member to come in and look at what I'm doing and not have to be like, is it in the, in the Google doc or is it in the diagram? Where is the, the, the latest version of this content? And so we really to like impact the industry and like what we like needed um, was to build a product. And it was really the goal of just streamlining this process because spending so much time and seeing how that was also affecting the end result of what clients or teams could accomplish in the amount of time. And so oftentimes what would happen is we would see teams build something. They would get it to a certain point, release it, get it out into the market. And they would be using all these, these tools hacking together, all these individual tools. And then they would try to make a change to it. So it's really not about the first process. It's like, after they try to iterate on it, scale it, expand it, be kind of stuck because it would be like all the artifacts they had previously created are potentially out of date and wrong. Um, The developers are now the only people who hold the knowledge of what the state of the interface is. And they may not have even put robust analytics or other tools on top of that to even give anyone visibility into the performance of it. And so they would be in a place where it was just like, What do we do? And we actually had, you know, I think in the later stages we had client engagements that started looking more and more like this, like fix or help us expand or, you know, uh, help us iterate. And it was just kind of like, Oh, we're kind of, we're at this point now in the maturity of the industry where people aren't just building their first thing anymore. They're actually looking Mm -hmm. to integrate it into their organizations, have multiple teams, build multiple bots. Um, And, it just started like all of that messiness just was expanding and we were like, okay, this is the time if we want to make an impact on the industry and solve our own problems um, and the problems of our clients, like a product makes the most sense. And I definitely think that also like that whole stage you set was great. And then the pandemic hit and I think it kind of shifted the way business um, was looking at small studios like ours who were very much focused on like innovative technology a lot of those budgets went away for the large part of 2020 and so for us as like business owners we were just like hey what what is actually going to be valuable like where do we want to put our time you know going out and like getting more clients and trying to build that agency like work up um but as like product people who really like building products we we knew that like bo- turning Boxable into a product was really gonna like be the impact that we wanted to to make
2: and the whole time we were an agency, everyone thought we were a product anyway, so we figured right. we'd just keep the same
1: thing. Yeah, exactly. that is, a, is <laughs> that was a that was a little branding. Mm-hmm. Uh, nuance was every time someone would come to us they'd be like show us your products and we were like oh we're just we're an agency products yeah. is our, our knowledge and our methodology
0: um, so. <laughs> interesting well it does have a name that, that can that is quite transferable but having said that i've had a lot of conversations over the years with people who think that that vux world sells a product and it's like so what's your technology? It's like, well, you know, there isn't any. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's it's crazy. But um, but that's interesting. That it's so so. I suppose one of the things you could probably say is that during the pandemic. So the pandemic was mixed, wasn't it? For for different companies, you've got some companies who you know, really just battened down the hatches and just cut ties to everything that wasn't absolutely critical and even actually had to force to dig into some reserves potentially or to to try and get themselves out of it, like migrating all kinds of stuff to the cloud and all that kind of stuff. So things just shifted attention-wise. But then at the same time, you've got other companies who really doubled down on conversational AI during that time because they were just run off the feet. People are working from home and they can't get access to communication and stuff like that, and so who's going to take up the demand? And I think my observation in that is that conversational AI products during that time actually took off. Voca AI was acquired because it completely smashed it. (laughs) So Snapchat acquired it. You had all the companies that we know now as like the major sort of like platforms like Core AI and Cognigy and all of those lot raised funds during a pandemic, and so I think that what it kind of meant, or or I'd be interested to see if if you'd kind of agree with this, is that some companies. Cut away, cut away external support, just focus on their core business. Other companies wanted the capabilities that conversational AI brings, but in a product form that allows them to keep the cost down, but still potentially bring in the capabilities. And so, switching from agency to product, I know maybe it was you know partly influenced by the pandemic, but in future, is it true though that there is potentially a more foundational? offering that the business now has that has the potential to stand the test of time, even when the market changes and people bring conversation design in house and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know,
2: certainly. Yeah. And, and, and also from a business perspective, you know, we were realizing after having run an agency for that long, that, you know, one, it's not the type of thing you're, you can't raise funds for an agency, right? No one wants to invest um, in something that requires people to scale. And that was the other part of it for us too. Is like we we had grown the team briefly, um, but then as an agency, it's so difficult to really predict your future revenues. That you know, you lose one client, and suddenly you have to let half of the people go. Um, and so it, it's 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 just unstable and difficult to scale. And we wanted something that um, we have we have been thinking about this product. The product is where we both. Kind of came from early stage tech products, and um, we and we had identified this kind of space in the market where we saw teams just spending so much time and money building the wrong thing simply because they hadn't asked, you know, at any point, is this is this the right thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it.
1: Yeah, and I think from a long-term perspective, even as we were consulting in in the agency world, uh, I was very aware of the fact that, by and large, when you look at technology agencies and technology services, the wave of that usually happens, like there's lots of outsourced services as a new technology comes on because organizations don't have the internal knowledge. They need to hire outside vendors. But as those organizations start to realize the benefits of conversational AI or insert, you know, valuable (laughs) enterprise technology, they realize that to truly capitalize on it, they have to build internal knowledge and mindshare and like expertise and systems that all feed into that. I think that is especially true with AI and conversational AI, because it's, it's like a cultural change that happens in organizations at least that's that's what we've kind of seen is it like orients people understanding the ai getting past the hype of ai and understanding the true like application of it and and so as an agency we saw like well ultimately i think there will still be services available there still will be outside vendors for a lot of use cases but where our expertise lies in helping you know Teams build products, scaling actual like startup technology products. Um, we we thought like first, our expertise is better suited to a, a product and, and scaling that way, and um, and that like ultimately kind of standing that test of time in the market that. The, the product would be actually more valuable in the long run and, and companies would be looking towards products because they would want their internal teams to have the best tools as opposed to the best, you know, outside vendor providing services. Not yeah. that they're like, there's, you know, room for all of that. And there are like companies that are absolutely killing it on that front that we look to all the time and are like, yeah, those are, those are going to be the leading kind of agencies and vendors that hopefully will be using Boxable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've made horses for courses isn't it you've got some companies that want to build everything in-house and keep control of it all you've got some companies that maybe want to outsource things to get themselves moving and bring in capabilities that they don't have you've got others that actually just want to get everything off their plate and just outsource things entirely you know you've got companies like you know well most companies do that core ai and red root and smart action action ai totally just outsource twenty four seven AI live person, all of them do the same. Just outsource the whole thing, give the whole problem to someone else and let them sort it. So I think it's 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 definitely horses for courses. Um but I think having that product allows you to you know it's it's yeah it's a it's a more foundational capability that gives you a nice position because you you can be talking to agencies, you can be talking to consultancies, you can be talking to end clients that use it. You know, you can even encourage hobbyists to get used to it. And then when they land their kind of career, they can bring that. So I think that having the flexibility of a product, I think is really helpful. Um, Yeah. What is it? Oh, just
1: to interject, I was just saying like what those things, like all of that is happening at the same time in the biggest Mm. enterprises. There are different business units, different teams that are, purchasing external vendors and having them do out-of-the-box call center work. There are sales teams that are building custom chatbots. There are yet another team building virtual assistants. And so at these largest enterprises, you're seeing, like, they're using all of it. They're building internal knowledge share. They're also hiring external vendors. So there's, like, it is absolutely, like, a, a very frothy place <laughs> right now and will continue to be.
0: Wild West. Um, <laughs> w- what is it then about the Voxable product or, So so. I wonder if you can explain the premise of it. There'd be some people who might be familiar with other design tools who might not be familiar with the concept. Like what's the general premise of of Voxable as a tool then?
1: yeah, it's it, the goal is really to help organizations scale and manage their conversational apps, voice and chat apps. And we do that by you know giving those designers, UX folks, a really usable place that they can create the experience, create the content that drives that experience. Um, so we have a really simple script editor that is is kind of like working in a Google Doc. You know, you don't have to lift your hands from the keyboard a ton. You don't have to drag and drop what API call is being made at this point. You can just start writing scripts. And then... Um, We add structure to that um, in our, your scripts can also be rendered as diagrams um, and you can add and annotate data really flexibly. So all of the contextual intense entity type data that goes into conversation designs can be um, modeled in, in Boxable. And then we provide the technical folks an API and CLI. So they're spending time in a command line interface as opposed to a GUI interface. They're not dragging and dropping. And by they, I mean, developers are dragging and dropping. They're writing code, they're in their IDEs, they're in their code editors, which is where they are most efficient and spend most of their time. And so they can extract flexible content that designers have have uh, composed and use that in a myriad of ways. Um, they can you know, just take it and it themselves in the CLI, they can use one of our open source plugins or create their own plugin um, that would either link them to a popular conversational um, tool or channel. Bespoken is one of our supported plugins. Um, so it's an example of, of someplace you could take your voxable data or they, you know, can actually manage it long-term. And so we're currently building the, those management um features that will allow teams to really use it as like a conversational content API for the organization.
2: And that's kind of like, that, that sort of points to, and speaking of terms and, and creating new terms, we realized that what Voxable is, is kind of like a new class of product. Um, and we're calling it a conversation management system So it's a a bit like a content management system, solving similar problems. When we had this uh, very similar problem in the industry, we needed to separate like the content of our interfaces, the words that we use, the images that are used from the actual code, so that you could have non-technical folks in a CMS tool. They could make changes to content that could then be, you know, updated live on a website or a mobile app, you know, delivered to multiple channels. We really need something similar, you know, a, a conversational, content management tool, um, but it go- goes beyond just content because when I'm working in conversational AI, those words can actually be valuable development assets. You know, um, I I can take those designs if I'm working in, maybe I'm building a voice only Alexa skill, I can take my boxable designs, export them from the CLI and transform those immediately into bespoken automated tests because I'm saying what words I expect you know the user to say, I expect to hear back in response. So that can be translated directly into a test. We're adding features for um, NLU model management so that you have a place, a centralized place where you can have version control around your natural language understanding model, um, track changes to that over time. So we we started as this place that was focused on the needs of the conversation designer, and then realized teams really need to treat this as like a single source of truth. Like, these are the the conversations that we've defined you know it's it's one thing that's different about Voxful we're we're not tied to any specific implementation channel you're merely representing logic rather than being forced to kind of implement it when you're in the design phase and i think that's one of the things that kind of sets us apart there there are literally thousands of the like low code no code kind of tools in this space right now and when we would sit down to use those, Lauren as a designer, me as an engineer, it, it felt like it didn't really meet either of our needs because as the designer, I'm not really interested in implementing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like designers shouldn't need to know about Boolean logic or API calls or, right? They just need to represent to me, the engineer, how this conversation should be proceeding. And so just giving them that space where they don't have to worry about the implementation, they're, we're really just representing how we expect these conversations to behave, and then giving the entire team a place to be able to reference, like, this is the content that we expect the bot to be using, these are the words, this is the words, the actual language um, that, that we'd like the this, this system um, to be providing, the actual experiences that we would like for it to be providing. And so really just trying to give teams that central source of truth so that they're not being forced to like spend hours, you know, copying and pasting between lucid charts and google sheets which we just talked to so many conversation designers that that's that's a big part of their day.
0: Yeah. 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 The old classic. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, we, won't, we won't, I've, I've spent many a time doing the same thing over the years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what's interesting about that is that as you mentioned, the, some of the low-code tools and even the full platforms, enterprise platforms that you can design and deploy through, some of them do have that you know, tree-based architecture. And I think that my observation is that people who are relatively new to conversation design tend to begin there which is let's begin by just defining what this tree should look like, what these options should be. And then let's kind of like just make sure that we can just cram people down these different channels. Whereas, you know, something that I've always done and always kind of advised others to do, which is exactly where you're approaching it from, is that starting with an actual script allows you to actually just have a look at what the actual conversation is rather than getting worried about, oh, well, at this point, they might say this or they might say that, and then we should go down here. And what if they say this? We don't want them to say that. We should pull them back over. And you just get involved in the architecture and miss out on the actual conversation part. Um, so I think that the starting with scripts is uh, is a really good shout because it's not something that you see in any other tool, just a place for you to be able to actually write a script, you know?
2: I, I 100% agree. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that's a really great insight. Like, it it kind of forces you and forces the organization to think in terms of like, what is this user's goal? You know, what is it that they are trying to accomplish, and what would be an ideal form of that interaction for that user? You know, based on um, like Lauren mentioned, one thing we really focus on is the context of the conversation. So. Um, you're able to label, you know, what do we know about this user? How is the context changing over the course of the conversation? And the reasons that that's really important is because that informs, you know, how the conversation proceeds. It lets me know as an engineer where this context is coming from. Maybe I can, you know, uh, point out to the designer, like, hey, actually, you know, we know the answer to that in this other business system. We don't even need to to, to ask what that is.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh Similarly, as we think about the designer role, who is responsible for kind of composing these scripts, that's kind of where we are today. But we're moving in a direction where we're—I um, think Raza calls it like conversation-driven development. I know a lot of other teams have talked about this. But instead of composing like from you know a blank page of script, you're actually ingesting existing scripts that may be from a customer service interaction, like a a human to human customer service interaction or other kind of foundational data. And, and especially if you already have a solution in, in place. And so teams are going to be, yes, I think needing a place to really think about individual scripts and how they relate to that structure because conversation designers can get caught up in composing that perfect like tree structure and, oftentimes it can, like, sometimes it can be, like, over-engineered or what they find when they put it out into the world is that people aren't following those perfect little structured paths that you created. They're not saying the right thing or the thing that you anticipated. And so it's really about, you know, taking it from a place of, that individual script, this individual potentially person and interaction and use case, and then applying the structure as you start to see the patterns and not necessarily trying to force a pattern from your own mental model.
0: Mm, mm, Interesting. Um, We've got a question from Richard, which is around how uh, some voice tool creators, are uh, embracing a model where the d- designers create possible conversations and entities that need to be captured. Um, he says that your tool seems to be in the second camp. I'm not sure what the first camp is. Forgive me if that's accurate. Either, what are your thoughts? Oh, this is the question. What are your thoughts on the either approach and whether you might migrate to something like that? So I think what Richard is asking is that you've got that flow-based architecture approach. You've also got this open dialogue style, more kind of loose approach, which is... Here's a topic of conversation. Here's some turns that can happen within that topic. And then we define the intents underneath it. And the model behind the scenes just takes care of the actual conversational part. What's your thoughts on those two kind of approaches and and where does Voxable sit on that sort of spectrum?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And this kind of gets to, um, yeah, this, this kind of new uh, era of, of conversational AI um, where we're dealing rather than the kind of rules-based intent based systems where we're trying to create these natural language understanding models, um, try to determine this list of intents. and then from the you know the logic side, um, trying, trying to navigate these conversations in a very logical way based on you know sending the text of what the user said to our NLU system, seeing what the intent is, and then making some decisions from there versus something like uh, Alexa conversations which is this newer style uh, where or even the the latest version of Raza where we're providing these example conversations um, and then allowing the the uh, the intelligence of that particular platform to determine what happens next rather than like the code of, of my own you know system determine what happens and what even what is said in response um, and uh, our, our opinion is that we're trying to s- remain a flexible tool so we want to support both of those those kind of means of, of design um, so we we want to be a tool that you can use sort of uh, regardless of, of your how you're going to eventually implement this um, to that point, though, uh, one of the things that we'll be adding as a plugin for our command line interface very soon is okay. I want to take this script, which, as you know, as we're, we've been talking about, it starts as this linear script, but then I can start to add that structure um, because I can't. You know, I can logically represent any potential conversation as as a tree. Then take every path through that tree and turn that into training data for. Alexa Conversations or, you know, Raza. So being able to support that kind of probabilistic model is something we're really interested in. And this is still like, there's a lot of unknowns here for, for organizations, especially enterprises. Um, so we, another kind of feature of, of Voxable that sort of sets us apart, we're trying to differentiate ourselves with is the Voxable Assistant. Um, and so this is um, the part that you had kindly mentioned um, mm. the, the, that is powered by GPT-3, which is OpenAI's large language model AI. Um, it allows us to do really interesting things. So one of the things that we do is there's a little lightning bolt button. At any point you're working in a script, you can ask the Voxable Assistant to just suggest a message. This can be a user message, a bot message, and it will make sense kind of given where you are at that point in the conversation. Um, The next step is actually using the Voxable Assistant to drive what we call conversational prototypes. Um, And this feature is still in limited release. We're still working with teams on this. But the idea is I can build one of these designs, interact with that design without needing to train a natural language understanding model. It's the Voxable Assistant that's really driving it um, because it's not an actual end user interaction, right? We're just, we're we're trying to give designers the ability to actually experience this interaction. Um, and part of what it does is just respond on your behalf. If it, if maybe I ask a question that isn't part of the designs, the the assistant steps in and again, just generates a potential message. And it, that is a step toward that because it starts to kind of give organizations a feel for what that's like when uh, you know, we'll, we'll allow you to kind of point it at a knowledge base or, frequently asked questions so that it's actually generating a response that's relevant to your organization, but gives you a chance to experience what it's like when the bot is kind of making (laughs) its own decisions as to how to respond, because there's still a lot of open questions around how to kind of put guardrails around that experience.
1: Yeah, I think for now we want to leverage all that we can out of GPT-3 to help streamline teams what they're doing, the most tedious tasks. So like, you don't have to build a model in order to test your prototype. You can leverage GPT-3 to do that, but it will also provide a playground where like teams and organizations can play with this probabilistic approach and perhaps like determine whether it's going to work for that use case or that particular interaction, because I think that there will be some where it makes sense and some like higher risk interactions where you do need to come back into a very deterministic path. (laughs)
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's certain use cases where unless you provide certain... Data, you're not going to get the use case solved. You know, <laughs> not yeah. everything is is an entirely like an open-ended uh, philosophical conversation. But mm. uh, but no, I, I, I'm a huge fan of that that GPT three assistant. You know, I saw the kind of content you've been putting out there around it, and I think it's a it's an example of where because there's a lot of, sort of things with GPT three that is um you know a bit fluffy and a bit kind of like. It's a bit like, Lauren, you mentioned earlier on that people were just kicking the tires with Alexa and just seeing what they could build rather than thinking about problems that can be solved. I think GPT is definitely going through that phase as well. So there's some sort of stuff out there that's not that great, but there is some good examples of use cases where it is being applied in similar contexts, which is, you know, the Microsoft kind of like coding assistant, and this is a kind of similar thing. And I think it aligns perfectly because you're using natural language understanding in order to generate a natural language understanding system. And it might not it might not necessarily always be perfect, but I think the thing is, is that it can, one, it can expand your mind a little bit because sometimes as a conversation designer, you can just get trapped in this narrow focus. And I think it can help you expand your mind a little bit. Um, and and also generally just expedite the process, which I think is it's a genuine application of GPT-3 in a, in a valid context. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that.
1: Yeah, we thought it was as we saw similarly the hype mm-hmm. of GPT-2 and 3 and AI Dungeon was one of those like open-ended like playing a game and it wasn't really clear how we could apply it until as we started to think about it in the context of conversation design it actually seemed like the perfect application for mm-hmm. GPT-3 or any large language model because it's not suitable for yet for you know, direct user interaction. So You don't necessarily want to put GPT-3 where it's generating answers directly to your end users because there's still a lot of concerns around the language that it will generate. It can, you know, be gamed to be racist or sexist or any of the horrible things you don't want your brand to say or represent. And that is a huge concern. And that's why we think designers and teams need to use it internally as a tool and not which can be like a reflection point as to like what these things will generate before we get to the place where we can actually have it—the AI driving the experience, um, you know, be the main driver behind the experience. And this is also kind of as we come back to the history of this whole industry, um, back into those days where conversation design wasn't even a word we would talk to clients and other people who would assume that this is what NLU could do, like that, that, uh, mm. that any AI was just able to generate language that mm. you just put data in and you got perfect conversations <laughs> out. And um, I think that we have always seen like, Oh no, we're building that future. We're just not there yet. And so this is, I think the next step into, into building that future where mm. we maybe live up to the, the true hype. <laughs>
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. expectations have been wildly out of control in parts, haven't they? But I think that it's good to see that <clears throat> in order to bring about a a future, you need to be able to imagine it in the first place. And, and I think that's kind of what's happened is you can see progress happening along the lines. Um, and I think that, you know, things will... Change undoubtedly, and I think that I'd definitely like to get your thoughts on where it's heading. But first, I want to uh, head into a question from Steve Osteen. Shout out to Glenn Wallace, by the way, for tuning in. Thank you, Glenn, and shout out to Hisham Tahiri, who's in as well from Smartly AI. Hisham, for, for those who are not familiar, was instrumental in those early years 2017, 2016, even running voice events in Europe and stuff like that. Really, really big promoters of the voice scene. So, th- shout out to Hisham. Um, so yeah, so, so Steve's question is, um what voice platforms can voxable work with so it sounds to me as though it's it's one it's a design tool two it's kind of a dialogue management system as well don't know whether we got into we didn't get into whether it's like a proprietary nlu system or whether it works with other nlu systems i'm wondering whether you can give us the lay of the land as far as where the voxable tool sits within the kind of i suppose the technology and channel ecosystem
2: yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll work with anything. Um, so we're, we're really just, you can kind of envision it like a, a headless CMS. Um, so we're providing um, a place to define this content and give it structure. Um, and then the, the cool thing about just kind of flexibly defining a conversation and the way that you want it to go in this way is that we can then, we have all the data necessary to produce all of these kind of useful artifacts. So right now, um, the current version of the product, I can um, use the CLI, export my design, either as uh, Bespoken Automated Tests or Colang, which is another small startup, uh, very cool being run out of Romania. He was our first like, uh, you know, platform that that submitted a third party plugin that will take your design and turn it directly into a Colang bot definition file. we are currently adding support for actual like direct NLU model management. So you know let's go from the design to these are my intents, these are my entities, um, and then actually exporting to a variety of different platforms. That's all going to be stuff we're working on in the first half of this year. Um, and yeah should be coming shortly you can though do that at the moment uh, we're just working on the actual plugins to give you like a pipeline for automating that process over the the course of the next few yeah
1: months. you can get the raw data mm-hmm. and do what it with it what you please if you can build uh, transformations or, or want to a lot of organizations and teams are in very custom platforms where they need actually their own structure to the data and aren't following alexa or google and um yeah stay tuned to to our plugins because we'll be expanding to more popular tools so that that's already created for you and it's automated um and would love to hear from people as to like what what channels they want supported we know raza is a huge one jovo um we're we're big fans of jovo and um and et cetera. So we'd love to hear more about what channels you want to see supported and automated.
0: Mm, cool. Wicked. We well, we'll definitely put the links in the show notes and we'll get to that um, when we wrap up. Um, so thinking about what we've been, we've been discussing, we've been talking about the the evolution of conversation design as a practice. Excuse me, I need to cough. It's not COVID. I don't think, I hope. <laughs> we've been talking about the, the future of conversation, well, the history of conversation design as a practice and how, it was very um, new ground that was being explored. Best practice wasn't really established. We're kind of getting into a realm where best practice is kind of becoming established. I've got some questions about whether it is best practice or not because I still think there's some mistakes being made with things like beginning at trees, not having enough customer data, there being a real clear divide between development and design. A few other things I think that we could that we can get to. But nevertheless, there's, there's, there's tools like Voxable, you know. Um, Richard was, like I mentioned, open dialogue, you know. Uh, voice flow There's, there's tools that have kind of cropped up that are beginning to solve some of these problems to the point where i think that the tooling is is at a stage where you can design develop launch implement and maintain conversational applications using tools which wasn't the case five or six years ago it was all it was all developer tools which you know is is not accessible for everybody and so there's been great progress made definitely but now we're seeing things like GPT-3. We're seeing things like, you know, Got It AI and Zero Shot Bot and, and Vlooper and these transformer-based NLU models similar to GPT-3, you know, Hyro and, and things like that. And so, some in, and Raz's conversation-driven development is a mixture of design and development, kind of like, so seems, seems to me as though it's a combination of the two things. Sounds very similar to the Voxable platform in that you really do bring the design-development phase close together. What I'm kind of getting to is that, as we approach a point in time where we're starting to solve some of those problems, what is it that you think the future of conversation design looks like and what kind of a job will, will conversation designers be doing in three years, five years time?
1: Yeah, I think um, we are moving towards this probabilistic uh, design creation uh Kind of working with and alongside an AI to help create the the actual intelligence that that you will be putting out there to end users. And so I think the designers will be more focused on creating the best examples and templates that feed into those probabilistic models. There'll be a lot uh, more testing and analytics focus on the conversation design role. I think right now we're still at a place where analytics isn't getting a ton of love or attention and and how powerful that is to organizations and teams will become a lot more significant. And then I think it's about also ensuring that it's doing that at the in the right use cases. So that the conversation designers actually need to have more leverage, like need to establish more leverage in an organization to to say, hey, we can't automate this part Mm -hmm. of the interaction because it's not going to solve our business goals. It's going to fail the end user and being able to like establish a framework of, you know, data as well as like evangelizing the importance of protecting that end user experience because I think that companies can get very, um, tunnel vision around, let's save money, let's automate all of this. And I think it's really great, but it's still a lot of work to get there. So I think like we are on, we're looking towards that new future. I think it will take a, a, a real like five five to seven years where we're like, okay, we've kind of navigated this whole area and where there's new maps to be drawn. And so like, that's the exciting part. And I think that's the, the reason, you know, we're, we're on this journey with Boxable to go draw some of those maps.
2: Yeah, and just to echo what Lauren said, I think it's it, it's more and more of the process is going to become augmented by AI. So, um, you know, using conversational AI to to accelerate the process of of bringing conversational AI to market um, and. Ultimate
1: dogfooding, I guess. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. We'll we'll see like more and more organizations adopting these kind of probabilistic models. More research on how to make large language models something that's like effective and usable and like a user facing context. Um, And just I think yeah, a lot more investigation into what it takes, what design means um, when we're we're handing more autonomy. Uh, to the system to respond and, and how we exert control over that. that's that's going to be the question we need to solve over the next, yeah, next few years
0: interesting there's a really good I can't remember the name of the person or the name of the model so it's not going to be very helpful to anybody especially those listening um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a really good framework which looks at the the learning journey versus how confident people are in the knowledge that they acquire and mm-hmm. if you've seen it before if you're those that haven't seen it before essentially what happens is that if you imagine a graph that's got like an x and y axis and essentially it starts with a big spike Which is that when you very first learn something, you get really overconfident about how much you actually know. But then you scratch the surface and you realize there's a hell of a lot more to it. And then your confidence plummets to the point where you feel as though you don't know anything about it. And then over time, steadily, 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 slowly, 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 it climbs again. Your your knowledge and competence and confidence all eventually kind of climbs. And I can't help but think of that in this context, which is that at the beginning 2015 to 2018, everybody was super overconfident thinking that we've got it boxed off. Then we (laughs) realized, actually, this is not what it seems. We need tools. We need processes. We need a whole load more maturity. And now we're seeing that happen plus technology advancements. And so we're kind of just climbing up that latter phase of it. Would you agree? Yes. Yes, Yeah. (laughs) Though I do think
1: that there's... A lot of mini dips of that, <laughs> of that thing that's happening along the way. Yeah. Depending on who gets a hold of that knowledge, you can definitely be like run in a direction <laughs> along the way. You're like, oh, that that I thought I knew about this, but I didn't. And that's I think those are some of the exciting parts. It's like <laughs> we're gaining knowledge, we're getting maturity, but there's still new technology being built. There's still like a, you know, a, a new language model could come out. This year that blows us all away and is like, is the thing um, which will change everything. And so I I think expect the unexpected as well as, Mm -hmm. you know, stay on the course and on that (laughs) path of gaining knowledge.
0: Nice, nice. I couldn't have wrapped it up better myself. Stay learning and um, yeah, don't get trapped in the status quo, isn't it, is the is the thing. Wicked. Well, Lauren, Matt, this has been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, for, any, for those of you that have tuned in, voxable.io, V-O-X-A-B-L.io for you to give it a whirl. Is it, what is it, is it a free trial, something like that? Can you get in there and get your hands yeah. on it?
2: Exactly, feel free to log on, sign up. If it is down, um, I noticed we got a down alert literally five minutes before the show started. Um, Our upstream provider as well as most upstream providers are dealing with some issues today. Should be resolved ASAP. Give it another shot later in the day. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Sounds good. And if you're in on the podcast, this is probably going to be out a day or so later, so it's likely fine. So get on (laughs) voxable.io. Do check it out. And I'll put all your social links and stuff like that in the show notes as well, because I know you're both very active in the community and you do share a lot of knowledge and insights and stuff like that. So I will definitely link to that. Thank you both for joining me. This has been absolutely immense. Thank you so much. Thanks Thanks so much. Yeah, had a great time. Let's not leave it so long. Next time. Yeah, the, for, sure. for, for for third appearances there is a vux hat trick involved. So Ooh. if we line up another two, VOX hat is I will be winging your you way. So there you go.
1: Now we have a goal to work towards. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nice one, lauren Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Thanks. and thank you all for tuning in. Thanks again. Cheers. Speak listen, Speak soon.